Once upon a time, in a faraway land. What are fairy stories? The strange and wondrous place where nothing is as it seems. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest? Fairy is a perilous land. Before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. It is the place you visit in your dreams. A world of myth and magic. When the clock began to chime the a mysterious voice began calling to the sad princess. She flicked her finger with her needle. Three drops of blood fell on In the In a trance, she followed the haunting sound the of a winding tree. stairway to the top of the you tower. You can read along with me in your book. She waved her wand and said the magic words. Let's begin now. Well met, witches. Welcome to Storybook, Sacred Lore of Witchcraft. We gather again tonight to continue our discussions on the themes and symbols woven into the tale of Cinderella. Tonight, we have returning panelists, Laura Gonzalez and Dave Gaddy, the Weathered Wise Man. Laura, uh, please introduce yourself for the listeners. Of course. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Laura Gonzalez. I'm a priestess of the goddess. I'm a ordained minister with Circus Sanctuary. I'm a witch for hire. I am also a Native American slash indigenous practitioner and always student, curandera healer, and also podcaster and so many other things. But uh, Mostly, you know, uh, a bruja and a priestess of the goddess. Yeah. What will you be talking with us about today? The immense amount of passion that I have about working with ancestors. I don't consider myself um, an expert on anything but one thing, which is Day of the Dead, the Mexican tradition of Day of the Dead. And that ties on into working with ancestors. And as we approach the season, in which some of us go deeper into our ancestral work, um, I think is very fitting for this tale. The way the original tale is, I was very surprised about that. Thank you. And Dave, the weathered wise man, please let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Well, I am... A southern witch, so my background is pretty much in southern and Appalachian folk magic and traditional witchcraft, and um, again, uh, along the same lines of Laura, I work heavily with ancestry, uh, ancestral worship. Um, my ancestry is primarily Scottish, so I go about it quite a bit differently than um, Laura's tradition, um, but. A big part of what I work with is healing trauma through ancestral worship. Thank you. And as I mentioned, today we're going to continue continue our talks on the tale of Cinderella, especially looking at the Grimm 1812, the Brothers Grimm 1812 version of the tale, and how she turns magically to her ancestors and the nature spirits to heal her own situations of traumatic uh, abuse and oppression. Um, before, we, before we get heavily into that, 
Dave and I already had a chance to talk about this tale a little bit in the previous discussion, which was on Cinderella, Dark Goddess symbolism, and Glamcraft. Laura, did you have anything that uh, first stuck you, like sticks out about the tale that you would like to, you'd like to say? Well, I always like to remind people of the fact that I grew up in Mexico and we don't have a whole lot of these tales. So, of course, I met Cinderella through Disney, right? And the whitewash, uh, made-for-children story. And I remember we had the uh, long play of the Cinderella movie, and I will listen to that uh, back and forth, you know, in Spanish, by the way. And um, so to listen to the Grimm's version was a little grim. A little, a little darker, of course, and um, also interesting. Of course, I'm a feminist witch. In case you haven't caught up with that fact, and to see all these women of that time having to go through so much in order to be able to make something out of their lives, right? Um, I was, it was really impactful to see um, what the sisters had to go through in order to be able to fit the shoe. And as much as on the traditional Disney version, you learn to hate the sisters, on this one, I'm like, oh my God, they have to cut their feet and, you know, just to have a chance at. A good marriage, you know, that was that was really impactful. I, I will dare say I have some sympathy for the sisters now, even though they're so evil. Um, there is a greater evil that looms above them, which is, as a woman, you only have but this and the other option, you know. A woman in that time, um, we haven't gone that far, but anyway. Yeah, thank you. That is definitely an aspect of this tale, both the classist structure and the and the gender politics of the tale. And there is a French earlier version. There's both Italian and French earlier version of the tale. Um, And this the Disney version actually sticks rather closely to the previous French tale. But the one we're looking at today is very Germanic. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> and Dave, when we spoke previously about it, you mentioned how it strongly brought up ancestor work um, to mm-hmm. you. What, um, what is, in what way do you see that connection? And how do you work with ancestors to overcome trauma? Well, if you look at the Disney's version that we all grew up on, I mean, you have the fairy godmother. Well, in the this version, you actually have her going to the mother's grave. You have her going to the tree that's on her mother's grave, which to me, it symbolized a part of that family tree. And when she would shake the tree, whatever she had needed would come down. Now, I'm not saying that we treat our ancestors like a, a very good godmother slot machine or something like that, but... They're there to help us and to assist us through those those traumatic events that we've dealt with. And for me in particular, um, 
I grew up being sexually abused. Um, also, as a result of that, depression and suicide were a big part of my, my history. So the way I approached it was go to the source. And in my research, and I did tons of genealogical research. I mean, we're talking ancestry. We're talking going through my dad's pictures, my dad's letters, everything to find out pieces and bits of the kin that were affected by these. And I found out through that, that depression and suicide were just all through my family. So it was up to me at that point to break that. I had to go back, like I said, to the source to find out, okay, where did this start? How did this start? What can I do to engage these people, these spirits, to work with them, to go through that and to make it easier on those to come later? So in doing that, I was able to, I had to dig into me deeper than I've ever dug. And, and trust me, when it comes to trauma, I'm a big believer in magic, medication, mediation. You do what you got to. You're never going to hear me say, don't get counseling. You're never going to say, don't hear me say, don't take medicine. If you need it, you do it. But magic can be a part of that. And it can help you to realize that healing. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for including those, the points about the holistic aspect of the work and what can contribute to it. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to say, Dave, thank you for healing yourself and thank you for sticking around and thank you for uh, braving the storms and not um, deciding on suicide. I have close encounters with suicide, many, uh, not myself, but I'm a survivor of suicide loss. And because of that, I also got so involved in suicide prevention. So thank you for grabbing all the strings that pull you through so i'm so glad that you're here and you're not an ancestor yet with that said i also loved the holistic approach of to healing because we can pray until we're blue in the face and we can light all the candles and go to all the temples and uh to stonehenge maybe and if we don't seek therapy or medicine or if there is a chemical imbalance on our brain, um, all the magic in the world might not be able to change that chemical imbalance. So as magical as we are magic practitioners, we don't deny science. You know, and I think it's a very important part of our magical structure to see it holistically and to see that the world is that you know that we don't live on a vacuum and that we can try all different approaches and one of them might work or all together might work i know i got in my lifetime to a point where i i have done everything i could on my own to break all the curses and to come up on, on the other side and 
when I got as far as I could, that's when I seek for therapy. And you know, it was fantastic. And it's been fantastic. So let's, um, I think the younger generations are more open about um, mental health. But I think it's, it's the silver fox like ourselves that are still very, uh, you know, trying to like, eh, do I really have to? Yes, we are the ones that really have to because we are the ones shaping the next generations. So um, I was also very awestruck about the tail and the tree and going to shake the tree and going to ask mother not a fairy godmother, but mother, right? Asking mother for help. And like in sympathetic magic, the tree is the catalyst, but the act itself is the acting, right? And I am more of a practical witch. I work with what I have and uh, sympathetic magic is kind of like my bread and butter. And I'm not that ritualistic, you know. I, I don't like the big rituals. So for me, this go shake the tree and ask mom. It's like, oh, my God, that's perfect, you know, because it's like one to three and you're done. But I always um, lovingly call our tools props. And I know a lot of magicians are probably going to try to come at me. So uh, Wait, let me explain. Um. Yes, a lot of things work very well for magic, right? You have uh, your crystals and your candles and all your correspondences, which make magic so much fun. But if you don't have that, that intention, if you are not visualizing it, if you don't have the wonder within you, all the tools in the world are not going to shake the tree, you know? Like, yeah, you, you need to go shake the tree, but you also need to believe that something is going to happen if you shake it. Um, and with that said, I wish that Cinderella would have seen that tree before. It was for this so important event of going to the uh, ball. Because maybe she could have gone shake the tree before, you know, when the sisters were being abusive or when the stepmother, evil stepmother, was being evil but of course i guess she was so used to being abused that she didn't she thought that was the way it was and 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 that was it which ties up with what david was saying you know when we're talking about breaking generational curses as people call it or healing our trauma as i would like to call it more um we get so used to the oppression that when we find ourselves out of that oppressive boot on our neck, uh, we often wonder, you know, like, what's wrong with me? I'm happy. Like, what, what's happening, you know? Like, what is this? When is the other shoe going to drop, you know? We are always waiting for um, to... We even unconscious, subconsciously, unconsciously, subconsciously seek for self-sabotaging or happiness mm -hmm. because we are so used to live within the drama and within the oppression. So as you can see, I can talk about this for days. <laughs> but along that same line, Laura, if you think about it, we get so used to that emotion that's tied to that trauma 
that we don't know how to live without it. And I think it's the same way for Cinderella. She had gotten so used to that trauma that it was just her second nature at that point. Yeah. I agree. And there is an element of the story that it's a, it's a process. It's the process of healing. It's a process of alchemical transformation where she goes from where she is in the beginning to be, to being able to accept her rightful, authentic place in the world. But she couldn't make that jump over the first night. And there's, there's hints throughout the story that it's increasing, um, which, which we'll get into in, in later discussions. But I think also, like, she knew the tree was there, but she wasn't using it for wish fulfillment. But she, the tree grew so well because she watered it three times a day with her own tears. So she was there giving the veneration already, even if she wasn't asking for things in return. Mm -hmm. I think where she was asking for things in return was she wanted her her living family, her step family, to love her, mm -hmm. right? So she was going about all those actions, people pleasing, family pleasing, mm -hmm. and it wasn't giving. It unfortunately wasn't giving the returns that she was seeking. The validation that we all so desperately seek that gets to a point of very deep illness. And that veneration of living family, right, that exists. Um, and, and let me not get started with like uh, Hispanic, Latino, Mexican, or Latin, because we are the words, believe me. Um, and to understand, of course, poor Cinderella didn't know that she didn't know, need no validation from nobody, that she was on her rightful self already valid. But most of us don't know that because, again, we, we get so used to live within the trauma. And in this case, what reminds me, of course, in the tale is the community that she built, right? In the movie is the birds and the rats and the mouse and the cats and the dogs and all that. Of course, in this tale is the birds, right? That is her community. That is the only community that she has. She don't have community with the stepmom. She don't have community with the stepsisters. Uh, where's the dad? <laughs> you know, like, where's the dad? Like, we don't hear about the dad and the whole, you know, so add an absent father through trauma. And it's her little community of birds who take her under her wing and then become the wind beneath her wings uh, and take her out of this, like, you know, shake her to like, hey, this is not it. You can have a different life. You can have different things. And to me, that speaks about the importance of community. I am not afraid to say, and many, many times, Aaron, you have been my soul community, and I have come to you with, like, tears all the way to my knees. We have been there for each other, right? And how important is that, that you create your family, that you create your community, that you, in this day and age, we're able to create also an ancestry of culture, which is what Cinderella created, is an ancestry of culture with her bird. 
One thing along that same line, you're talking about building community. A big thing in the South is secrets. We're told from a very young age, or not told, but it's it's given to you that you hide your crazy. Um, so I look at Cinderella going through this process, and she can't tell those that are in the house with her. And it's like you said, the only community she's got are those birds. They're the only ones that know the secret until the end when it's when everything is revealed. So I very much remember that that whole feeling of, of this is my secret. I can't tell anybody. And having to, as, as a 10-year-old, even a 14-year-old, having to just push everything down and... I was a, a big kid, so you, we all know that you're supposed to smile and laugh and always be jovial and never have any issues, so you just keep pushing. Cinderella was lucky in this because she shook the family tree, and what is the saying? You shake the family tree and all the drunks fall out? Mm -hmm. But she was lucky because she got dresses and shoes fall out. <laughs> But but this makes me go ahead. One thing that I really like the fact that I don't know if you all noticed, but the first time she shook the tree for a dress, it was like, yeah, it was a dress for a ball, <laughs> but it was like, yeah, it's a run of the mill dress. But the second time she had a better dress. What yeah. would have happened if the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time, which mm -hmm. speaks magically to trial and error? working with our sisters, building that relationship, um, whether it's your, your lineage ancestors or your cultural ancestors or your um, city, you know, local, um, cultural or otherwise, and building that relationship. Because when we talk about working with ancestors, I have had situations where the people that I'm working with, they're they don't have a relationship with mom and dad. They don't have a relationship with grandma. And then I tell them, like, then call further back. Mm -hmm. Some ancestor is gonna, has been holding a candle for you. So you call into that ancestor. You don't need to know their name. You don't need to know where they're from. You don't need to know when they died, what generation it was. That is the ancestor that has seen you through. So. If you build that relationship, just like we build the relationships with deities, right? Um, you don't, you're not going to go ask for the dress for the ball, the best dress on the first call. You know, the best dress is going to be the last dress that you ask for. And after that, the next dress is going to be better. So you just keep building that relationship. But you also water the tree. You also go put your tears hopefully not tears but you know do some offerings or you know something you know you do the work on your end and and i liked what you said about that as far as going back further as a gay man and a lot of a lot of gay and lesbian lgbtq plus have been ostracized from their families go into the culture access those ancestors trust me we've got a lot of warriors in our lineage we've got a lot of people that are willing to fight with you 
Something you both mentioned early in the discussion is this idea of working with ancestors to cure generational curses or to heal the family lineage. And there's, I think, different ways of looking at that. One as in the product, the product of of that trauma in ourselves, but then also working to heal the ancestors who've already passed on. And what um, what does that entail, or what does that look like in practice? Well, I know. Thank you, Dave. I know there is um, difference school of thoughts, different schools of thought on that. And what I talk to my apprentices, I always mention, you know, one school of thought says that's their karma, whatever that means. And you don't go and heal the ancestors because they lived their life. I have even heard from some of my teachers, like, who do you think you are to go changing somebody's karma even if they're dead like it's not about you it's not your job to do it which if you think about it it makes some sense right um on the same breath though i know some of my ancestors that had suffered immensely throughout their life and if there is a slight possibility that if i send them light if I do offerings, if I remember them on Day of the Dead, if I do something that I know it will make them immensely proud, I know they will have a, I'm going to cry now, I know they will have a smile on their face, and that will give them joy. So we really don't know what is on the other side. So whatever school of thought works for you is what works. The other part, the other aspect is if you heal yourself on this beautiful humongous tree that we are, we are but one leaf, right? And if my leaf is healthy, I start spreading that health throughout the whole tree without having to move a finger. So my personal idea is. I need to work on myself and I know I need to do the things for me. And in my particular, very specific case, Laura Gonzalez, I decided to stop the trauma on certain ways. And one of the most important for me was I'm not having children, you know, like it stops with me. I'm not bringing any more children to this world to carry that hurt. You know, it starts with me. I, it's okay. I can carry it. I can heal it. I have the tools. Um, how will that affect further generations, like with my nieces, with my grandnieces, etc.? I don't know. It's yet to be revealed. Um, but I think it, it will affect also the ancestry. And it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship. You know, even if they're dead, we still have a relationship with them. It's just a different kind of relationship. And I feel much the same way that you were talking about. If we work on us first, it filters forward and it filters back. I mean, my nieces and my nephews are going to look at the way I live my life. That's part of what's going to offer healing for them. 
no, I can't go back and change something that happened in the 17, 1800s. But if I live my life in that healing, if I walk past the circumstances and the situations I've been dealt, then my ancestors in turn are going to see that. They're going to feel that. That energy is going to move back and forth between. And it's like you said, the leaves are going to flourish. The roots are going to flourish. Just because of the healing I've done on myself. You know, I was flirting with this concept the other day. Um, you guys know me. I'm, I'm a diva. I love to be on the internet and all over the place. And I was flirting with this funny idea the other day, but it, it has a lot of truth within it. Where I was saying we all are influencers. Of course, now in the 21st century, we hear the word influencer and we think about this huge people that had millions of followers on Instagram and whatnot. But if we go to the actual root of the word, is influencing something, right? And by the mere act of existing on your truth, on your light, on your life, one influences other people's lives, you know. A big example for me is as a fat woman, I exist fat and proud, period. Do I have internalized fat phobia? Of course I do, like everybody does. But I fight against it and I heal myself every time that pierces its faith. And I do my thing and I live my life and I have had people who said, you inspire me. And I'm like, why? Like, no. So, yes, we all can influence because eventually, again, after we are no longer in this plane, we will be the ancestors, even us who don't have um, blood lineage descendants, we will be the cultural ancestry for the queer, for the indigenous, for the fat, for the pagan, for the witches, etc. So it, it is mind-blowing when you think about when you're, we are immortal, especially now, this generation, that we're doing these things that will live forever. So to whoever is seeing this 100 years from now, hi! <laughs> <laughs> we talked about how in the other version of the tale cinderella does not turn to her mother she turns to a fairy godmother we discussed in previous discussions this could even be seen as working with the goddess turning to goddess magic where would you say is the difference between working with deity and working with the ancestor, and why would you work with one versus the other in this context? For me personally, working with deity takes on a different, I don't want to say a different perspective, um, but when I work with my ancestors, they know me. I mean, they know me intimately. They know the blood that courses through my veins. They know the history behind me. Um, I'm a culmination of them. Um, it could be the same for God and goddess. I'm a culmination of them too. But 
the thing with deity is my relationship with my ancestors is a little different. When, <laughs> when I talk to my ancestors, it's not like, oh, dear Thula. Or it's like, okay, great granny Thula, I need some advice here. <laughs> I need to talk. Whereas with deity, it may be a little bit more formal. Just, just in my own opinion. But yeah, when I'm talking to my ancestors, it's pretty much, okay, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. I need a little bit of guidance here. <laughs> I mean, it's all done respectfully, but they know me. They know that I can be a loon sometimes. For me, you know, in my case, I only know my mom and dad. We don't have a big family tree. I know I have a grandmother and I know I have aunts and uncles who might still be alive. But I was not lucky like you, Dave, to have a granny and or a great granny that I know of, right? So I constantly as the ancestors, you know, the mighty dead. I don't know who you are, but I know there's a witch there somewhere and I need your help right now, you know? And I also as my mom and, and my stepson who passed away. You know, like, hey, keep shining your light on us and keep helping us. And I am, unfortunately, uh, fortunate enough to have the grave of my grands, uh, my stepson here in Chicago. So we go visit and I'm not Catholic, but I go with my husband and he puts flowers down there. And I, I also tell him, you know, like, hey, keep shining your light on us because I know you are. And... It transcends religion, you know. Whereas in when I work, for example, with Fortuna or with Mercury, because I don't have granny, right, to ask, or I didn't have that present in my life, because like Cinderella, my dad was nowhere. Uh, for me, Mercury and Fortuna are more like mom and dad. So, you know, the way you talk to granny, that's how I talk to... Mercury and Fortuna. So I will say there is no one, um, what is the word? Formula, you know, that, that each one has a different relationship. How about in the Mexica practices, Laura? Do you, do you, are you able to observe a difference in the way that the community would deal with the divine essences? Well, what we do in our Capuli is we are not trying to live life like they did. But we are looking at the principles and the theories and the knowledge and the metaphors and the mysticism and why do they see why why did they see life this way? And they spoke in such metaphorical ways, you know. So you learn to live your life in that metaphor. And one of the most important ones that I remember. Uh, from the ancestors is the the flowers, the flowering, right? So life is a flower, right? And and we are here in this world to bloom, to open our petals and to look at the sun and to give our beautiful fragrances. And then eventually we will become some kind of fruit, right? 
And because anything that gives fruit, it was first a flower, right? Or everything that gives you vegetables or whatever, it was first a flower. And then you become a fruit, right? So you mature, you, you gain more knowledge, you become something transcendent. And then eventually you will have a seed and that seed will pass on and it will give way to another flower. And that particular metaphor of the flower and the seed for me, um, because it's very tied up to today of the dead, how it was ancestrally celebrated. Um, it really, it really is to me in, interesting and important because it helps you deal with life and death. It makes you understand that we're here but for an instant, but that we're so important and that we also need to die to leave space for the new flowers because there's no flowers that need to come, no seeds that need to grow and become a flower and then give, you know. So we try to keep a good soil, right? We try to leave a good soil for the next generation of flowers. So we're not trying because... Um, when people make fun of, of our practices or people don't understand and they just mock them. Um, and then most people who are not, I'm going to say it, people who are racist, um, they tend to say, you know, Oh, if you're practicing like the indigenous people, why do you have a cell phone? Why do you have, why do you live in a house? Why do you use, uh, uh, water? You know, like because it's the 21st century, like why wouldn't I? So we're not trying to be like them. We're trying to understand their philosophies. And a lot of them make sense, you know. They, I mean, look at society now. They all are, everybody's trying to go back to holistic practices, to indigenize the way we live. Um, and, and most of the stewards of the earth and the people who are doing eco-activism are the indigenous people. You know, so there is a lot to learn from cultural ancestor. I've experienced and heard the same thing that, of course, the ancestors have a bit more personal interest into our well-being than maybe a broader deity. And also, personally, I would feel more comfortable and do sometimes tell things to my to my grandmother to my ancestors things like well it's because i wasn't supposed to do this but i did and now i really need dot 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 whereas with deity i feel there's a little bit more like you did not play by the rules now you must suffer the consequences which may or may not be true but that's how i feel about it so like with my working with the ancestors too in doing the research in in digging into the personalities of the ancestors i know who i can go to with what like great great granny thula is a little misindependent. This is the woman who had eight kids by eight different men, raised them all by herself, and refused to live by the rules of the of society at that point. This was in the early 1800s. 
Um, then I have my uncle Zeb, who was said to have had second sight. Well, he killed himself because of that, because he got tired of hearing voices. So I know who to go to for what. And it's a little bit different for me because I do have that intimate knowledge of them. I've done the study. I've done their, I've gotten to know their personalities. So, and, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, Laura, too, with um, the Day of the Dead. We've all seen the movies and everything um, with the ofrenda and all that, that, that type of stuff. So, I mean, that's an area that I'm interested in because, to me, that's a, an amazing way of ancestry work. They, the origin of the ofrenda comes from the indigenous practices. And they mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. some people say 5,000, some people say 2,000. I don't know how many for real. And the offerings were done because the belief was that when a person died, it will take four years. Mm -hmm. It's a journey of four years to go from death to McLean, to the place of rest. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the underworld, it's not heaven, it's not hell, it's a place of resting. So originally, you will offer the floricanto, you will offer the, the food, the prayer, the recognition, the communion with them for four years. Mm -hmm. And of course, when the colonizers came and they tried to eradicate the holiday happened, what happened was the same with Samhain when they tried to eradicate Samhain. They just made it into a bigger party. And our celebrations went from 40 days to two days because they stuck them on their All Souls Days and All Saints Days. And now you have this big influence of Catholicism, which coincidentally has a big influence of an undertone of pagan practices, because the Catholicism that came to what is now Mexico was already infused with um, pagan practices. So you have to have the water for purification and the air for purification and the earth for purification and then the fire for purification because we're kind of obsessed with purifying things. And all of that now combined is what we know as Day of the Dead, but it has an origin with the um, indigenous traditions. Um, and the, the offerings, like on the movie Coco, right? Yeah, they put the photo and then they put the food and what people liked in life and all of that. Uh, back in the day, what our ancestors did was they put flowers and fruit, because again, with that um, metaphor of the fruit and the flower. So that is a remnant from ancient times. And now we have photographs, right? But back in the day, we didn't have photographs. So all you had is the time to speak with people and to keep the memory alive. I believe. Personally, that is a great time to allow us to mourn in a very healthy way. And whether you believe that you bring them back or not, do we bring their spirit back? I don't know. But we do bring them back. Because when I am building the altar on Day of the Dead for my mother and my stepson, 
I have my grandson with me, and my grandson never met my mom because we're not blood related, we are love related. And I get to tell my grandson, my mom was this way, my mom like this, my mom, like your dad, loved uh, dominoes. So I set up a, a, a set of dominoes in between their photos. And I like to imagine that they know each other now on the other world and that they might be playing dominoes. Or if they, or, or, or if we bring their energy here, they're in my house right now. So let me put a set of dominoes so they can entertain themselves. And of course, I leave some change in front of each photo, right? And I think it's a very healthy way of mourning, something that I see in the United States that doesn't happen a lot. Because when people die here, it's very ascetic, it's very clean, it's very like almost, um, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Sterile, sterile. It's very sterile, you know. You don't cry, you don't make fuss, you don't make a big drama, you don't, you know, you go to the visitation and everybody's quiet. And in Mexico, there are people who get hired to come and cry and mourn and whine. So that, that could inspire and give people permission to cry. You know, because you, you, it's it's an organic part of our life, I believe. Um, to mourn your dead, so we bring their memory once a year. We put offerings. Now, what the ancestors used to do on those offerings was fruit and flower, and I'm repeating myself, but also tools of the trade of the person. And unlike with the Egyptians, that it was for them to go into the afterlife and work. For us, it was more like a grape marker, you know. So say when Laura dies, uh, tarot cards, a microphone, and maybe her healing magical tools. Not that she can go to the next life to work, but so that you know, oh, this person was a tarot reader, was a witch, and was a podcaster, you know. And... And that not translate after the uh, Catholic influence and what is now Day of the Dead, rightfully, with all these different roots that weave it into what it is now. Um, we leave things that the person liked so that they can enjoy it when they come. Do they come spiritually? Is there energy around? It is. We bring them back. And is beautiful. And I think that falls along the lines of the way I work with my ancestors is I have more representation of them on my altar. Like my grandmother, they always called her Dobby growing up because they said she was shaped like a dirt dog. So I have a dirt dobber's nest on my altar. But I'm also old enough that I remember when they used to bring the bodies back to the house for the wake. And I think that's probably where my fear of dead people started, but then that it kind of it, it waned as I got used to it more. Um, just because you're in the house there with the body laying in state, everything's going on around it. But the big thing is, and I think it, you hit on this too, Laura, was storytelling. It's a time to remember. It's a time to reminisce. It's a time to say, this is what your grandma was like. 
this is this is why you're so much like her. I mean, trust me, we laughed as much as we cried during during the funerary process. Um, but I think it is it's it's and I think it's starting to get back there more, more of the memories. Because you're right, it has become very sterile in the States. I mean, it's like they're whisked away the minute they die, and you don't see them until visitation. The lack of uh, allotment for grieving and emotion, I think, is what a lot of leaves a lot of people yearning for something and appreciating what they see in the visible aesthetics of the Day of the Dead. And this isn't what this show is about, but um, I'm going to say something so you don't have to, Laura, uh, which is if you have been exposed to Dia de Muertos and you um, want to be able to participate in it but are not culturally related to it or are not sure if you should participate in it, one easy answer is to remember that reverence for the ancestors was worldwide practices at some point in all of our histories. There have been some cultures um, that working with the dead or being around the dead was taboo. So there are some exceptions, mm -hmm. but on every continent, there has been holidays or practices for remembering our beloved dead. And it can't be too difficult to research back far enough to find what might be the ones that existed in, um, or I know existed in ancient China, ancient Japan. Of course, we know of Samhain before the church, or, or, the, or even before the church, the Romans um, tried to stamp out. Um, but there are, there are practices that you are likely related to that could become the next viral revival. <laughs> and that's just it. Look into your culture. Look into your background. I mean, I'm not going to set up an ofrenda on the Day of the Dead because that's not my culture. Now, Samhain, yes, that's very much my culture. Um, and like I said, Southern folk, they all about them funeral practices. <laughs> you know, also, and again, this is related to, but not necessarily the topic of discussion today. Um, so a lot of the uh, Caribbean and Latin American versions of the African diasporatic religions have incorporated the spiritism of Ellen Kardec, a uh, parallel to their practices, which is a type of ancestor veneration uh, Ellen Kardec's spiritism uh, developed in France and was big through Europe. However, it was actually based on early uh, 1900s and late 1800s practices and fads that were happening in the USA, which was another spirit, which also had spiritualist movements. So even in recent history, there are religions and practices of working with spirits and working with the beloved dead that likely are connected in some way to the land you live in or to your cultures. And one thing that we shouldn't ever let bypass when we're talking about ancestral war and, and magic, um, there are a lot of folk 
like me, like I was not adopted. I know my family, but my family had a very unique story that is irrelevant. So I only know my mother, basically, right? And my sisters and my brother. But there are a lot of people who don't know their ancestry. They were adopted or, or they just don't know, right? They just don't know. Then you, you just keep praying. You just keep digging. There is such a thing as unverified personal losses. And as long as we don't try to impose or unverify personal losses on anything, on anybody, who is answering you, most likely it's an ancestor that you didn't know mm-hmm. that was there. And go with, the, build a relationship, right? If if you must work with the ancestor of your lineage, try to find a relationship. However, comma, I assure you that there will be cultural ancestors, there will be land ancestors, and they will be communal ancestors like Dave was talking about the LGBTQ community. I mean, unfortunately, we have a plethora of LGBTQ ancestors because mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say why. Yeah. And there's how many billion years of human existence and we've always existed. Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh, thank you for bringing up that point because while um while we may feel a longing to to have a connection to ancestors of our blood uh, we sh- we should also remember that we have ancestors of culture ancestors of the land and ancestors of our our religion or magical practice Absolutely. for someone looking to get further into this topic or looking to take the first baby steps into building a practice of um, ancestor work and healing through ancestor work what are what are the um, essentials that you would recommend to begin with uh dave why don't you just start just start i mean the big thing that most people think is i don't know where to start so i won't just just start if even if it's just reaching out just letting your voice say i need help I mean, that was my first interaction with ancestors. When I was at the depths of suicide, depression, the only thing I could manage was the word help. Thank you, Dave, for asking for help. I think that... um, Really look up into which kind of ancestry work is going to work for you. Um, I know I'm brown. A lot of people assume that I do voodoo, hoodoo, and centuria. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's a bone that I love to gnaw on, Aaron. Thank you for indulging me. Um, so this pra- some of these practices have a daily ancestry practice. I didn't grow up with that. That's not for me. That's not what I do. It's just not part of my culture. I don't understand a daily ancestral practice. And in the same breath, I can tell you, but I do my daily practice in a different way. Um, for I recognize, understand, and integrate that I come from generations, that I come from struggle, that I come from survival, that I also come from 
these sheroes and amazing women who did amazing things, right? My grandma and my mom, uh, that is as far as I know. So find out what works for you and what commitment you are willing to make with this ancestral business and how are you going to approach it. And if eventually you decide that it's not for you, I promise you that your ancestors are not going to come and smite you. You just respectfully say, you know what, this is not for me, it's not going to work. But I bet you you won't be saying that because you will be connecting with them. Even when we don't want to see them, we see them. Believe me, because when you start getting older, you start seeing your ancestors in the mirror. I keep seeing my mom on my hands, and it's like, wow. You, you cannot escape your ancestry, good, bad, or indifferent. So everything you do, like we were saying earlier, David and I, when you do better for yourself, when you, when you are working on your own healing, you are doing ancestor work already, you know. So it's just about kind of like pick up the phone and call them, you know, the, the astral phone. And don't commit to more than you're willing to and feel very comfortable about. Um, people who do genealogy, I'm amazed because it's such a huge work and commitment. And I have seen it go both ways. I've seen people who are devastated because they have learned that they come from a different lineage that they thought they were. They thought they were Italian. It turns out they're English, and that just throws their whole, their whole life away and their whole pract magical practice, which I, I cannot comprehend that but to each their own. And then I have found people like David, right, that finds out this, like, magnificent great-grandmother that I wish I knew her, and then you can work with her. So you have to be very emotionally prepared to be ready to find out what are you going to do. And that's a huge thing. I mean, I've found out some big bombs. <laughs> um, but one of the, like you were saying, finding different lineage, every Southerner is told that they're part Cherokee growing up. Every Southerner. I could not be more white. I was like, oh, I'm going to find this Cherokee chieftain in my background, all this stuff. No. The Cherokee comes from a step-grandmother. Everybody in my lineage is white, white, white. But I can still honor and respect that lineage. Of course. I want to ask a little bit like, okay, so, you know, when we're, when we're in the bottom of the well, when we're sitting in the dark, um, even after calling for help, we, we might feel alone. You know, we might not really hear the response. So I do want to ask what is the next step or how to keep building that um, connection so to make to make ourselves more able to perceive a response but even wanting to ask that I, I do want to point back to the story how we mentioned she was still going to the to the mother's grave not only a daily practice a three times a daily practice 
and caring for the grave and the tree. So there is that example in the story. Um, that would be a bit excessive for most of our modern schedules. But um, but do you have a do you have more of an answer to that, uh, Dave? Like what would be the what would be the next step? It's like we talked about earlier. It's about relationship. You've mm -hmm. got to build the relationship. You've got to talk to them. And trust me, when I first started working with Ancestry, my dreams were lit up at night. Oh, my gosh. The ones that you would not think would talk wouldn't shut up. <laughs> and I'm getting so little sleep because of the ancestor. And it's just like, okay. I mean, I had my partner who passed away decades ago coming into my dreams. I had grandmas. I had aunts. I had uncles. I'm like, y'all, I got to get some sleep. And, and that's another thing, too. It's okay to have some boundaries there as well. And if there's somebody you don't feel comfortable working with, you're, you have the right to say, I don't feel like working with you. I don't, I, I don't want to work with you. It's okay. And sometimes mm -hmm. they set up the boundaries. My mom was one of the driest people I've ever met. Okay. Hugs were few and far in between. That's just who she was. And we all have this idea that when people die, right, they get their wings and they go, kumbaya. When my mother has come to me, it's been like to the point and wake up. And I'm like, mom, it's so good to see you. You're here in my dream. I said, wake up. I mean, she means business. So that's a, yet another thing, you know, don't expect that if somebody was succinct, in life, they're gonna be the talkies because they're not. They're just again, they're just dead. And our relationship is different, but they are the same person. You know, they don't change, they don't get wings and become angelical. They are the same person. So again, you know, are you sure you wanna call and are you sure you wanna call them? And on the same breath, you know, if you knew of an ancestor that was problematic, don't call on that ancestor to help you fix the problem, you know. But I, I think, who did I hear saying this? I think it was Byron Ballard who I hear saying this. Uh, if your parents are being mean, call mm -hmm. on your grandma. Then <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's your grandma to get your parents straight. I mean... It is it is fun when you think about it. And I think that's key, too. I mean, any part of magic can be fun. Yes, there are going to be the somber moments, but I enjoy working with my ancestors, especially great-great-granny Thula. I mean, yeah, the woman's pure attitude, but it's an amazing attitude. Like Dave, I grew up... Um being very secretive and that that is something I still struggle with uh, being very tight-lipped although I might not seem it in this context um, and and it's something I still deal with in my ancestor work knowing okay these probably aren't the practices that they would have expected or or wanted me to work with you know in in life 
Um, so, you know, that's something I've had to come to terms with in, in deciding when to call on them and when not. And for the most part, I, I have decided that the, the, the main ancestors and the unnamed ancestors, the ancestors whose stories and names have been lost in time, of course, predate a lot of these issues. Um, so I've decided, no, that I, I am going to call them. I am going to talk to them about things that are going in my life, going on in my life that I may have been uncomfortable to talk about uh, when I knew some of them in this life. And another issue that comes up during those times too is, okay, have I been keeping communication with the family that is alive? <laughs> or am I gonna wait till I put, the, put their photograph on my little table? Uh-huh. And therein lies the fixture issue now, right? And we're we're going full circle because we started talking about the issues now, the healing now, the healing of yourself and your relationships now. So it was my dear friend Christian who said, uh, "You're all trying to talk to your ancestors, but you don't." talk to cousin Juana, like, you know, build a relationship with the living <laughs> or at least heal yourself in regards of that relationship. You know. And that's Great just point. it. I do still have my mom and dad and we talk every day in some point, some way. Um, either by texts and Trust me, I get paragraph after paragraph in a text, but it's still in building that relationship because we are, we are the ancestors coming forward. And if we build the relationship with the ones that are going to be calling on us now, it won't be hard for them to call on us in the future. In my training, the most basics of the practicals i would say was um if you have a photo yes uh, you might want to place a photo on a table or on a wall um maybe on the fridge <laughs> and you similar to although it was it was not brought up in this context but since uh, uh laura mentioned it already there were the symbols of the elements so maybe you have you maybe you have an incense which has been a form of, of spirit offering probably since the Paleolithic times. Um, I don't always use incense. Sometimes I do, but the, but the constants I do have are a, um, a water potion, um, libation and a candle. Mm -hmm. You usually hear about a white candle. I actually think there is a bit of, um, there is a bit of, color correspondence magic that can be brought into the ancestor work as well. Um, Black, of course, has connections with death and necromantic work. And red is is connected to our blood. So sometimes if, if you're really trying to get that connection to open up, um, maybe a red candle. And, and, and you can move on from there, you know, to the full spectrum. But those are, those are a couple of the main uh, candle colors that I work with with the ancestors. And I will use different candle colors for any different issues that I'm facing. 
if I'm looking specifically for healing, I'll use a blue candle. Joy, yellow. Um, just, it, it depends. I mean, and that's just it. You have to make, make it work for what you need to, to be accomplished. I use a specific ancestor incense that I make up. Um, and in there, it's got things like vetiver. It's got graveyard dirt. It's got tobacco. The things that you would normally kind of think of associated with ancestor work. Um, and yes, I have pictures. I have little trinkets that remind me of them. I have an old poetry book of one grandma. Um, but a lot is about what works with you on your day -to -day, in your day-to-day -day life. I mean, not everybody is able to have a designated space. So you do what you have to do and you do what you can do. I, you, you know, Aaron, you've seen it. I, on the time for Day of the Dead, so when I, like half of the house is Halloween, the other half is Day of the Dead, and then the kitchen is Samhain, so I don't mix them because they're not the same thing. Um, and I put the Day of the Dead stuff too, way too close to Day of the Dead because um, now that I actually have dead people in my life, it's a little too painful to have the photographs from September to November, you know. And plus, my mom didn't like altars. She spoke a million times about, I don't want an altar. I don't want a photograph. I don't want you to have me on your run. So coincidentally, me, Laura, the person that works so much with the ancestors, I don't have pictures of my mom because she didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And that's important that we follow what mm -hmm. they want in life. So I put the altar like, say uh october 30th and i take the photos like around the 5th or 7th or november or so and then all the halloween stuff stays until christmas uh because i like halloween that much but but on that time uh it will be a white candle because you know that is the traditional catholic kind of thing uh the water the food obviously all the elements as as they are represented, and uh, in the Mexica tradition, what are called puli, the days of the dead actually already passed, or they are about to end around the time of this recording. And uh, of course, we offer copal, right? We offer cantos and we offer similar things. Then it's it's different, you know, it's completely different, and it's like July and August. The, you know, a little bit of September, and so not having anything to do with November, and that has been already celebrated. So when I'm telling you that I celebrate, don't celebrate the ancestors ancestors daily, but I basically I'm celebrating them from July till November, early December. She says she never works with ancestors every day. Uh, she was lying. Well, and the, uh, that brought a, a thought to my brain, too. We were, we're talking about working with ancestors for trauma, for healing trauma. Don't call on the ancestors expecting them to do the work if you're not ready to release the trauma. 
if you're not ready ready to heal, don't bring them in expecting them to magically make it go poof away. And how do you know when you're ready to heal? When you cannot spend one more day sitting on your pain. Exactly. That That's when. So there's one that I wrote specifically for Grandma Thula. And it's called My Wild Unruly Ancestor. This one's called, this one goes, My Wild Unruly Ancestor, a rebel spirit in the past, your untamed legacy through time forever lasts. A force of nature, unbound and free, your essence echoes now through me. So that, not only does it acknowledge her wild side, but it brings it into mine. It lets me um, be a part of that legacy. And trust me, the stories I've heard about her, it's some kind of legacy. But this is the, the general prayer that I use with my ancestors. Oh, ancestors who came before us, whose wisdom and strength we hold dear. We gather here to honor and remember your presence always near. With gratitude, we offer our prayer for the guidance you bestow. In times of joy and times of despair, your wisdom helps us grow. May your spirits watch over us as we navigate life's path. Grant us courage, love, and trust to face challenges with resolve and grace. We seek your blessings and protection for our family and all who came before. May your legacy be our inspiration, forever cherished, forevermore. In humble reverence, we bow our heads. In unity, we honor your name. May the bond between us never fade, our gratitude forever aflame. To our ancestors, we send this prayer. With love and reverence, we convey your presence and guidance we hold dear. Now and for eternity, we shall always pray. So be it. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. And for people who want to learn more about this topic and delve deeper into ancestor work in their own practice, um, tell us both. Uh, uh, tell us both of you about upcoming classes and events that you have. I actually have two classes that I'm te that I teach. One is called Meeting Your Ancestors Where You Are, and one is called uh, Utilizing Ancestor Magic uh, to Heal Trauma. Um, I know that I will be teaching both of them uh, in the spring, um, but I'm also working on my Patreon page, and those trainings will be a part of that. Um, and also some of the ancestor work will be in my book that releases uh, early 2024, uh, The Simple Magic of Wild Things. Wonderful. So if people want to keep updates on, on those uh, upcoming classes and publishings, should they follow you? They can follow me on Facebook. They can either uh, find the Weathered Wise Man on Facebook or Weathered underscore Wise Man underscore Real on Instagram. Um, and I also have a Wix space called the Weathered Wise Man. Okay, great. Thank you. And Laura, you, I believe you have some upcoming sessions on working with the ancestors as well. Absolutely. I have a class. Um, Ancestor Spells is going to be online on October 8th 
And that is part of the series that I did this year for Spellwork. Uh, for those who don't know or aren't familiar, I've been doing one class a month on different spells. In October, for obvious reasons, I wanted it to be Ancestors Spells. And in all my classes, Erin uh, and Dave, what I do is first I go into the technology, right? Why? What is the technology that we have at hand to do this work? How does it work? How do we use it? What is part of it, etc. And in this case, we're going to be talking about the technology that is there to work with ancestors of lineage, ancestors of culture, ancestors of community, and ancestors of land, and how to kind of reach out with them. So a little bit of what we were talking about today, but more in depth. And then towards the um, ending part of the class, we actually talk about techniques to fabricate those spells. And I call it spell work. That is not necessarily one, two, three steps spell, but how to give an idea on how to create your own spell. Because I think anybody that comes and learns from me, I am not going to give you the spell to do it. I, I'm going to give you the tools so you can create your own spell, which I think is the most important um, tool that they can learn from me. And also, Erin, if you Google Laura Gonzalez, Day of the Dead, Dia de Muertos, uh, Ancestors, Laura Gonzalez, whatever, uh, there is a whole bunch of shows and podcasts that I have done, part of my Lunatic Mondays uh, podcast, part of working with Circle Sanctuary videos and podcasts, and um, some other goddess retreats, goddess symposiums that have been online. So Google my name, Laura Gonzalez, Day of the Dead, and something will pop up, and then you can learn a little bit more about that. And you will hear me say uh, the difference between appreciation and appropriation is education a lot. You know, if you if you go to those, because I um, approach it from all kinds of different perspectives. And um, I will be at the Northwest, Northwest Indiana Pagan Pride Day on October 28th. And that is the only one this year where I will be talking about Day of the Dead. Um, coincidentally this year, nobody else hired me to go do that talk. So I will be at the Northwestern Indiana Pagan Pride Aid in person if you are on the area. And uh, I will be doing my thing, you know, after reading Cinema Art, whatnot. But part of it is we're gonna be talking about Day of the Dead and we're gonna be creating a community altar. Uh, fashion as a Day of the Dead altar. So a great time to, to visit them. I think you've been uh, maybe even a little bit humble about this, but you've been brought as a specialist on practices of the Day of the Dead um, or on the traditions of Day of the Dead for the public community by PBS and even academic settings as well. Is this true? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, I forgot. Yes, uh, if you go to, I think it's Latino Talks on PBS, and then there is another one called Ofrendas that we did for NPR uh, that was picked up by NPR. So they are everywhere. And thank you, Aaron, for always, uh, you know, fanning my flame. I have done so many that uh, this time I've 
forgotten but since you remind me yes there's the one on npr that is called um voice ofrenda or sound ofrenda that is in english and spanish it's a very cool one they did uh i think last year and then the pbs uh wttw channel 11 local chicago um i think is latin nights or hispanic nights that was like two years ago that we did that that's there's a video blog of that and of course i just recently presented and there's also an online presentation that we did last year at parliament of the world religions with reverend selena fox and myself speaking about uh Samhain, day of the dead all saints they also they so yes i've done a whole bunch of them they're all online and available and uh, you know, oral tradition is my tradition. People, I I will be very humble. People ask me, when am I going to write a book about the dead? The tradition keeps evolving. And I come from an oral tradition. So I would rather, I don't, I don't know that that's the book that I'm going to write. I might write something, but I don't know that that's the one that I'm going to write. And if it, if I do, it's going to be about this big. So there's a bunch of videos. Hey, audiobook only, then it's still yeah. in oral tradition. Exactly. There you, there you go. Thank you so much for bringing me to toot my own horn, because you know this is my favorite topic of speaking. And Same here. I mean, this is the love of mine. Yeah, I can't believe how lucky we were, uh, you know, to have both of you in such a perfect topic. And with that, may our may all of our ancestors be invigorated and know that they are honored and remembered. And may all of our travels be filled with wonder. <laughs>